Hi, you're listening to Jack's Viral Podcast. For the last few months, we've been talking to local people about their stories during this unusual time. In this episode, we've heard from pub landlords, hospital officials, members of the creative arts community, app creators, and more. Now, I don't know about you, but my lockdown haircut or lack of haircut is ridiculous. It's been nearly three months since it's seen a sight of scissors, and honestly, I look like a scarecrow. But the good news for local people is that barbers are among the businesses reopening their doors in Oxfordshire this weekend, but a trip to the hairdressers is going to look very different. We caught up with a couple of Oxford barbers about what getting a haircut's going to be like in this brave new world. First up, Craig Evans from Young Man's Oxford on High Street. I started by asking him what's going to be different. Yes, yeah, so the changes are, so uh, most of the services we'll be doing will be uh, via bookings. Uh, you'll be advised to look at our COVID policy before you come to the shop. Uh, the changes when you get into the shop, uh, you'll be asked to apply hand sanitizer and a mask. Uh, if you don't have your own mask, we will supply one for cost price. Um, you'll notice all the barbers will be wearing visors and for any beard trimming uh, they will be wearing a mask and gloves as well um, there's a lot more space in that in the shops now so each barber chair has two metres between each chair I, I know this has been the case I've seen a lot of this on social media of people who run barber shops and uh, and have had clients get in touch with them during lockdown and, and trying to get sort of sneaky haircuts is that something you've had people reaching out to you? Yeah we have found um, not too many to be honest we've had a few people asking we just politely said uh, we won't be doing any till we reopen again. And are you expecting some big job? To, to be honest, my hair at the moment is ridiculous. I look a lot like um, Carlos Valderrama, if that's a reference you get. Um, yeah. or, or Brian May. Um, it's honestly ridiculous. Do you think you're going to see some real shocking haircuts in the, in the first week or so? Oh, definitely. I know myself, I've been compared to a 60s Beatle quite a few times the last couple of weeks. Um, we've noticed about our booking system. I think we're currently booked up for the first week. Uh, we've just got a few points left in the Headington store. And I think it will carry on with that for the next month, I'd say. For someone who um, relies on this as an income, what's this period of uncertainty been like? Um, obviously, having no idea from when lockdown started and, and such a long period of uncertainty as it has been for so many people. What's it been like for, for people in your industry? Yeah, it has been quite stressful for a lot of barbers and hairdressers. Uh, with the uncertainty, no one really knew when we were going to be opening back up again, um, how safe it was going to be and the procedures that needed to be in place. Um, luckily, uh, the furlough and the staff and pool scheme has helped many people, um, but it has been a stressful time for uh, many of us in the industry. Have you seen uh, Have you seen anything of, on social media of the people who have taken it on themselves and, and got their partners to do haircuts or just shaved it all off entirely? Yeah, I think that's been one of the funnest bits, to seeing some of the um, pretty bad haircuts that have been posted up online. It's kept us in use over the last few months. There have been some uh, shockers. So we um, put up a couple of months ago a priority list and um, as soon as the announcement was made, we worked through that and uh, we see, we never see anything like it really. And we're normally busy, but this is uh, another level. We, um, yeah, just fully booked for a week or two. I think myself, I think I'm fully booked for three weeks now. Obviously, there seems to be um, a much more relaxed atmosphere among people and businesses as there was when we started lockdown and when we were in the thick of, of this <clears throat> this crisis. But obviously, COVID-19 remains to be a threat and still out there. It's still it's still causing a lot of issues. Is there a worry for you personally and, and, and your staff uh, that you are being exposed to a large number of the public and that, that everyone might not be taking the, the um, precautions that they should be in terms of members of the public. Obviously, you guys you guys have your <clears throat> PPE and things like that, but is there a worry that the public might not be doing what they should be doing? Uh, yes, I think we need to uh, carry on keep, uh, taking it really seriously. Uh, I know in the shops we'll be uh, monitoring everything throughout the day. Um, we'll be doing temperature checks. 
and making sure that people are applying to the rules which we have in store. Because, yeah, it is still a threat. Um, it's definitely not gone away at all. And um, we need to be really careful. Craig Evans there from Young Man's Barbers in Oxford. And now over to Jericho to Sam Popham, who helps run Popham Hairdressing. Here's the changes he expects to see. Interactions generally in inside the salon particularly, obviously, but, but also outside the salon are, are going to change drastically. Um, and, and, you know, they, we're not doing walk-ins. That's a huge one. Um, so we're operating by appointment only. Uh, so, so popping into the salon and seeing if anybody's free is, is kind of a thing of the past for now. Um, and we'll see where we get to in the winter. Um, but, but for now, it's, it's very much all planned out. And, um, and July is already pretty much full across the board, actually, which is fantastic. But, but you know, you, you, you're then disappointing people, um, which is tricky. Um, so we're, we're looking to see if we can open up some more hours at the end of the month once we've had a, um, a play around and made sure we're, we're all good, really. Just in, <laughs> just in terms of that, obviously... It's been a couple of months. Uh, me personally, mm. my hair's got to a stage where I pass people in the street and they talk to me about <laughs> it like it's a choice I've made. Um, are you expecting some real big jobs, some shocking haircuts coming through your door? I would I would be a yes. Yeah, really honest answer. I would say it's going to be interesting. Um, we, we told our clients, you know, we, we, we said to them, best thing is to, if you have to cut it, cut it. Like you say, you know, because it gets to the point where you almost can't do stuff. You know, if you have a fringe or something, you're going to have to cut that yourself. Um, and we did a little bit of some styling videos and things, but, you know, we let them go, really. So cutting, uh, who knows what we'll find. Um, but it, but it, that's relatively easy to fix. The colour, um, we specifically said to clients, you know, really try and leave off your colour as much as possible um, because matching up colour when you come back in having used a different brand or, or something that's that's designed to be used at home it can just you know it can take another two or three appointments to undo um, before you get back to where you were at the start so we sort of asked you know if you can grin and bear it um, we've had stories a couple of stories you know people saying what about a sharpie colouring in my roots or um, can I spray some or shoe polish things like that all sorts of ideas have been floated um, but, but really the best thing for it is to leave off it um, so who knows what we'll find. Um, I haven't had a haircut either, weirdly. Um, and, and a lot of the clients say to me, oh, how come you, you have to wait? And I said, well, even the owner of a salon has to wait for a haircut. Um, I, I can't, you know, I, I live on my own. So, you know, tough, tough, tough time. Um, you know, at least you're part of the crowd. Um, so I feel your pain. Um, even me. Absolutely. Um, my hair is looking horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> Which is no good for an owner of a hair salon. Sam Popham there on what's going to be different when we all go to get our hair cut. Finally, after months without a cool pub garden pint, we can go and enjoy one this weekend. Many Oxfordshire pubs are springing back to life, but it's all going to feel a little different inside. Nick West manages the Hollybush in Osney, and he's told us about their social distancing measures. We've uh, put quite a, a few new steps in place. So sanitizer stations uh, throughout the pub to make sure that uh, everyone's safe. Uh, I'm going to be hosting for the first week or two to make sure that everyone knows where they're going. It's uh, table service only. So we've, we've removed some tables and chairs to make sure that uh, social distancing is, is key um, and to make sure everyone, everyone's safe. There's no sort of worry there. The guys at the IT department have been working really hard on creating an app for us. So everyone can order online. So it's completely contactless. Order and pay online. And we just bring everything over. Um, so they, they can book tables, order there. Uh, we've also um, sort of got, got our 
garden, small garden and terrace up and ready, so it's been constantly cleaned. So we've got some tables outside as well, so people can make use of the outside and the indoors. And it's not going to be normal, but it will feel very nice to have customers back in the pub again. There's been lots of talk, I think, especially on social media, people discussing whether they are going to be going to the pub this weekend or not. We actually did a a poll on Twitter to see what people thought. And actually, the majority of people at the moment have said that looking to avoid it this Saturday, I think there's a bit of nervousness, isn't there, about going back and what it's going to be like and how busy it's going to be. So how would you kind of encourage people to think positively about it and think that it's safe? I completely understand their worries, um, especially sort of city centre pubs. I mean, luckily we're on, on the outskirts a bit more as everyone floods in. But with these extra measures in place to ensure that everyone is socially distanced uh, and I will be wandering around making sure that all the rules are being enforced. Uh, we just want it to be a nice, friendly atmosphere. As I say, we're, we're family and community-based, so we want to reassure everyone that everything is being done to ensure their safety and to make sure that everyone has a good time and they're not being pressured into doing anything they don't want to. Um, as people come back, we'll welcome with open arms. Are you worried at all that some people might go a bit too hard on Saturday because it's been so long since they've been able to uh, have a few in the pub? And it's always going to be a worry so if, uh, any Saturday, but around here we, we're really lucky. The, the people around Osney and Botley Road, and I mean, most people in Oxford are absolutely fantastic. So I like to think everyone's got a bit of restraint in them. Um, so it wouldn't be, it'd be too crazy, but we're, we're always on the lock, lookout. So it'll be a bit of fun this weekend, I think. How busy are you in terms of bookings? Are you pretty full for Saturday? So our seating capacity is around about, so with our reduced seating, so the uh, inside is about 65 to 70 now. So it's uh, taking a bit of a hit. Uh, bit of a hit. Um, so we're doing sort of bookings throughout the day, starting from 12 until I think 10 p.m. Uh, food and drink service and we've got about I think 80 or 90 people booked in so far just for the Saturday so nothing too crazy because it's spread out throughout the day but a nice amount to sort of be able to bring some staff back and see some regular faces. Absolutely and just need a bit of sunshine then I suppose if you've got that decking outside that you want to keep busy. <laughs> oh fingers crossed yes mm. please and oh per- perfect <laughs> perfect ending to the lockdown we'll have some sunshine and uh, some, some nice British summer please. Mick West there who runs the Hollybush in Osney. Now, towards the end of March, as it started to become apparent to the public just how much of an impact the first stages of coronavirus were going to have on our lives, Oxford University Hospitals Trust took the difficult step of putting restrictions on visitors for the safety of everyone on site. Now those restrictions are lifting to allow one visitor for one hour once a day. We spoke to OUH's Chief Nursing Officer Sam Foster about how it's been not having visitors on the wards. So I think it's been a really difficult time for families, friends, carers and relatives for our patients. They've not been able to come in and support their loved ones and be partnering care with us since March. So I think it's been really difficult. Whilst we've been able to use digital technology and and bring letters to loved ones, actually there's nothing nothing more important than actually spending time face-to-face with, with people that you care about, particularly when they're unwell. What experiences have you had of, of the stress that families have been under during this time? So I think it's been really difficult for all um, as a nurse. We're used to working in partnership with families from the time that I've been working clinically in the intensive care unit. It's just been really strange not having families and friends around to lift the morale and to you know, support and encourage patients to eat, to drink, to mobilise and follow their treatment plans really. So it's, it's been a bit empty. The corridors have been empty um, and the bedsides have been empty. So it, it's, been, it's been a really sad time and also we get to know families and 
and friends and get to know the patient more, particularly those patients that are, you know, gravely ill in the intensive care unit and unconscious. So relying on photographs and, and um, dialogue over the phone has been a really difficult way to try and make the family and friends part of that patient care. In terms of patient care, um, obviously you've known hospitals with um, visitors allowed and during this most recent period with them not allowed. What, what's the difference in uh, the mental health of patients when, when uh, family members are allowed to visit? Well, I think that the mental health of patients really improves when they've got their family and friends around them. I mean, that's particularly notable in patients with um, dementia, patients whose families are carers. Um, patients with learning difficulties. It's a really frightening time being in hospital and made worse, I think, through COVID, um, particularly at the beginning when things were, were very unknown. So it's been scary for patients, but it's also been a scary time for relatives. So even when, by exception, we have allowed visitors to come in, say in the end of life situation, actually they've been very scared to be in the hospital environment as well, as we've learned more about the disease. As you know, nationally, they've relaxed visiting restrictions. So it's still quite controlled, um, but we feel that it is safe now to start bringing family and friends back in. What will be different for a hospital visitor now uh, pre to compared to pre-COVID? Well, I think you'll remember we've chatted before in, in the Oxford University hospitals, we were very pro-open visiting. So the controls really now are very much around one patient, one hour um, per day, one person per day. So it's the rule of one for us, um, which is very controlled. But we're hoping that as we as we evolve that over the coming weeks, we can start to relax further, um, keep our eye on all of the markers and make sure that, that the environment is still safe for our staff and our patients. And our aim ultimately is to get back to open visiting um, where people can manage to come in when it suits them, when it suits our patients so that they can continue to be involved in care and, as you say, keeping mental health and spirits up. Do you think that there's a sort of national element of caution surrounding COVID-19 that might see people stay away that would normally come in or do you think that in fact that this, these are the families of, of loved ones who are in hospital and, and they'll be there no matter what? I think actually the the country is, is still quite scared of COVID. I think that they feel that hospitals are not safe environments and indeed you know they, they never have been. They've always been a place where you're more likely to pick up an infection, you're more likely to, to fall over um, because you're not in your safe home environment you know you're with a large group of people so I think COVID-19 has exacerbated that fright um, and even as I say over time where we have by exception asked visitors to come in um, in my experience over the last couple of months people have been reluctant to so we've really really tried to maximize on opportunities to use video conferencing FaceTime old-fashioned letters emails any other method of keeping in touch um, and we've got a lot more used to that and um, it's been absolutely lovely and actually it's expanded patients opportunity to see extended family so we're doing international video calls so I was in the intensive care unit a couple of weeks ago and one of our patients was doing a video family call with family in Australia and I don't really think that's something we would have done pre-COVID so there's some good things that have come out of it also. Do you think that it'll be a boost for your staff as well. I mean, you touched on what it'll be like, what it was like when you had empty corridors and an and empty hospital. Do you think that there'll be a boost, just that more people to interact with and, and even a social element for your for your staff? Yeah, we, we miss having family and friends of our patients in the hospital. My communication statement out started with we've missed having family and friends around us they're very much part of our patients care in the pediatric ward to not be able to have two parents in great times of joy when 
you know, patients are having babies and we're only allowing just one visitor. We're not allowing partners to scan. It's been really, really difficult. Um, in most of our wards and departments, they really lift the atmosphere um, and really add value and support us in caring for patients. Um, we know through open visiting there's safety benefits as well. We know that hospitals that have open visiting tend to have less, less patients falling because there's people around, people to raise alarm if things have gone wrong. So we've really missed working in partnership with, with our visitors and we're really looking forward to welcoming them back, albeit controlled, but hopefully as things settle across the country, we'll be able to expand that further and get back up to open visiting in the future. Chief Nursing Officer Sam Foster there on how relaxing restrictions are making it a little easier to see people. Now, if you go to see a show at the Oxford Playhouse in the future, you might also need to book your drinks online and have them delivered to your seats. That's one of the changes director Louise Chantel can see happening once they're allowed to reopen, that is. There's no date for theatres yet, of course. Here, she told Joe from News what else they're going to do to get ready. It's a high investment, isn't it? It's uh, it's usually quite expensive. And, um, I mean, our, our, our tickets are obviously value for money, but it's usually quite expensive. Um, so you need to ensure that you're going to have a good time. Um, I think that what we, I mean, what we were doing right now is trialling um, a unique um, cleaning uh, product, if you like, uh, which um, is a patented product. It's industrial strength disinfectant effect. They use it in the aviation industry to um, disinfect every plane um, after every, uh, disinfect the plane after every flight. Um, we would be wanting to uh, treat the whole theatre, including the auditorium. It's very good on soft fabrics, apparently. Um, and the the special thing is that it lasts for. It's a slow release disinfectant and it lasts for up to 10 days that will be a game changer when we do go back to the theatre because it will mean that we can be absolutely sure that the theatre um, the auditorium is safe but yes we're looking at every possible um, way to accommodate social distancing to make sure that the flow of the people is one way to ensure that there is um, everything in place to give people the ensure the confidence to come back to enjoy live performance of course and what do you think might change in the future at the oxford playhouse or just in theater generally because i'm thinking about the whole experience which is for a lot of people often getting there a little bit earlier to book a drink and the same for sort of in the interval and mingling and chatting do you think that will change in the short term, it may well change. I don't think, I'm hoping it won't change forever. Um, we, there will be a great deal more opportunity to, for example, buy a drink online and have it perhaps served to you in your seat. Uh, there will be, um, I think, there'll be much more likely the situation where we um, we use contactless um, cards and people use their phone, um, people use their phone to check in rather than a paper ticket. All those things are going to happen now. They were probably going to happen uh, at some point. It's just really uh, um, escalated because of the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, what will be the same is that, is that experience of sharing an, a real live performance 
with a group of people and performer and and actors on stage and that is a unique thing every performance is different people say that and it is the cultural it's it's the jewel in the crown of our cultural heritage in this country i just heard um dame Hen- helen Mirren um on another program talking about uh the british theater is is like the venice is to the um, to the italians it is the absolute epitome of our culture and our heritage and it needs it has it needs to be saved and right now british theater is looking at um armageddon because it's a perfect storm of we've massively reduced subsidy levels over the last 10 years we're completely you know we're self-reliant in very many ways and right now we have no income which means that for someone like me who is in charge of a a regional theater without a definite date to go back we are we can't keep people on furlough indefinitely we can't be looking uh we can't look at um the future knowing that we have a likely chance of the same level of income and it will mean that unfortunately there will be redundancies theatres up and down the land are both going into administration and um, um, announcing large-scale redundancy packages. Uh, We're not going to have a large-scale redundancy round, but I have to say that's no consolation if it's your job that's on the line. Chantal said fans of the Oxford Playhouse have donated £140,000 to help save the theatre survive lockdown. The creative arts industry has been struggling during the crisis like so many industries. Tara Melia Hunt is the principal of Abingdon Stagecoach Performing Arts. She says millions of people across the industry, some of which have been paying taxes for decades, have fallen through the gaps of government financial support. I spoke to her about the troubles she's faced during the crisis. I took over uh, my very existing business uh, in 2018. And because of this, uh, I've fallen through the gaps of the the government's self-employment scheme. Um, They're only taking, they're saying that you have to have 50% of your self-employed income. Most people who start a new business or take over a business are going to be putting money back into the business. So 50% of my income from that year was from other from other avenues, so I I didn't make um, the cut. The government's I didn't tick the government's box. So I've had very little income. I've managed to do some Zoom classes, uh, but we're also actually offering Zoom classes at, um, to parents who can't afford things. So we're not making a lot of money on Zoom classes, and you know my my teachers need to be paid as well. So I've had pretty much no income since uh, lockdown started in March. And um, no, at the moment, still no hope of going back to being able to earn an income. Uh, I've been denied universal credit. Uh, can't even get job seekers allowance because I was on maternity leave up until taking over my business. And there's just absolutely no support other than loans to put uh, ourselves back in. I shouldn't have to take out a loan just in order to cover my, my mortgage at the moment. You know, there's, there's bills that need to be paid and I can't pay those because I'm not allowed to do my job. <laughs> I'm just away from the sort of the the cold numbers of this situation. What's yeah. what's the personal effect of of this stress, of this uh, this worry and the uncertainty and also having very little sort of certain end in sight? Well, it's it's they're good days and they're bad days. 
at the beginning when I heard the announcement um, that no man would be left behind, um, I, I felt a massive relief. I could focus on homeschooling my child, focus on how to reorganize my business. I could get back up and running, um, you know, do a few DIY jobs around the house. Um, and as soon as we realized, no, actually, if you don't tick the boxes, uh, there have been days where I've, you know, gone on a walk with my dog in the woods and just cried because there's no help. Mm. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, that's fine. Um, <laughs> Well, we've talked um, problems. Let's talk solutions. What What do you think can be done? Um, firstly, the this fifty percent rule. I, I'm I'm only talking about the self-employed because that's the thing that I really know about. Um, the fifty percent rule. I know other people who are principals and stagecoaches who have fallen to this because they have a smaller stagecoach, so they also work part time uh, in another job, and actually they do really rely on the income from their business. Yet, uh, you know, there's there's been no cap on how much you earn for the furlough scheme, yet there's been a cap on self-employed income. Um, you know, they need to take a look at this and accept the fact that, yes, they have done a really, the government has done a really good job for certain sectors. And yet, at the same time, there are about a million people who are being left behind and they need to say, OK, right, what can we do? You know, identify the people who have had no support, who need support, and actually help them. There's a group called Excluded UK. Um, there's a website, excludeduk.org. Uh, there's a Facebook group. Um, we have people who, uh, they've been on the BBC News recently. We're trying to get our voices heard. Just come and talk to somebody. Find out who's been, who has been affected by this, and find out how you can help us. And what it is that we need because you know we pay taxes there are people who have been paying taxes for 30 years but just because for some reason something has changed that you know they've started a new job they've just become self-employed um you know there's PAYE freelancers a lot of people in the creative industry are getting absolutely shoved under a bus right now just come and talk to come and talk to us um we're we're willing to talk to people we just need the government to go, oh, hang on, we realise now that we've left some people behind, now we can actually sit down and do something about it. In, the, in a Facebook group, there have been so many people whose mental health has just absolutely plummeted. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of the people who's actually lucky because at least I've got a loan at 8.9%. Um, so I feel like I feel a little bit more comfortable. But there are people who or um, who can't actually afford food right now through no fault of their own. And it's just, it isn't okay. Um, something needs to be done. The welfare system is not fit for purpose for something like this. And we just, all we're asking is to be treated the same as every other taxpayer out there who has had help. Tara and Melly hunt there on some of the struggles being faced by some of those who make their money in the creative arts community. Now Oxfordshire's campsites are gearing up to welcome customers for a bit of R&R for the first time in months. At Cotswold's Caravan and Camping in Shelbury, Keith Dinton told our reporter Emma that they're having to be super strict on anyone who's unwell. You know the scanners in uh, China and Hong Kong where it's, a, it's an eat scanner, it's a TV screen, you stand in front of the TV screen and it reads your temperature. If you your temperature is running high, 
We've told everybody uh, when they want to book with us, if you fail the scanner, we will ask you to leave because you know everybody on the park, even down to kids. But with all the kids and everybody, everybody must be scanned as they come in the park. My staff and even myself, anybody that's running a temperature will be asked to leave straight away so no one is infected. So they could have the flu. Um, they could have a heavy cold. We will ask them to uh, to leave. That's one of the main things we've put in place. It's absolutely fantastic. I think we're the first person to actually uh, get it. Um, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think it's brilliant. Has it been quite costly? That, that, that's cost us over £3,000, that one thing. Um, but um, I think it's a good thing because obviously to sanitise in jail everywhere, we're widening our distance between each one of the bays. You know, we, we don't have a... We're an unused campsite because everybody else has the bays set out six metres apart. So we're push, We're just pushing them wider so everybody tell everybody to keep the distance, even still so. Um, and when you, you, you know, you personally, you've booked with us and you've got friends and you want to be together... We're making sure that you and all your friends are in one area together. Keith also said anyone who does have to leave the campsite because of the high temperature will be offered a refund. A college in Didcot is hoping to get back to doing all teaching face-to-face from September. Teachers at UTC Oxfordshire started doing live lessons online immediately after lockdown started. Sam Knowlton is the principal there and spoke to Joe about how they're preparing to start the new term. It's a big question, isn't it? So um, waiting for the, the ever-changing government um, sort of movement on lockdown, we're anticipating that um, lessons in September will be face-to-face. I think if the government change that direction or change the guidance and I don't know whether there's a an additional spike or I don't know it's 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 knowing here that we are able to respond to whatever guidelines are put in place by the government um, at this moment in time we're anticipating students to be on site um, lots of sanitizing lots of you know risk assessments lots of hand washing um, but we'll follow government guidelines as to what that would look like. Of course, but obviously your preference is getting everyone back in face-to-face, especially, I suppose, new students that are just starting there. Much yeah. easier to do that, obviously, to meet all their peers straight away, you know, in real life. Yes, of course. I mean, we, we had a, a, a fantastic um, live virtual event yesterday for the incoming year 10s and the incoming year 12s. Um, which we we did live. We had some recorded footage, but we had live Q, Q&A um, throughout that. We had some recorded students, um, student voice that were added to that um, virtual induction, but we, we did it live. And the response from that was, was really positive as well. Um, but it's not quite the same as having the students face-to-face here. Um, but, you know, everybody's adapted really, really well. And, you know, we've, we've been enterprising and we've managed to connect with those students that are due to come in in September. So we're looking forward to seeing them on site. I think everybody is, is missing that face-to-face contact. Yeah, I bet. And, and just finally, are you already kind of changing anything sort of structurally in the building to get ready for everyone coming back? 
Yes, I mean, obviously, we're, we're waiting to see what the so- there's lots of things in the media about that social distancing and whether it's two metres or one metre. At the moment, we've got everything mapped out for two metres social distancing. Um, we will, we've got hand sanitizer in dispensers outside each of the bubble classrooms that we're using, but at the moment we're only using three separate spaces um, in the area of the school and those have all been set up. So over the summer we will expand that provision out ready for September so that there's hand sanitizing in, at, 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 the, at the entrance of every single classroom that um, there's anti-back for every single table that seating plans will be in place for students um, and we'll we'll just make sure that everybody is safe and sound as we can possibly make it mm-hmm. within the building um, but having done it now for the 25% that are in school we, we kind of know what we're up against and, and we've got fantastic facilities here and we, we're very very lucky that we're quite spacious um, and what we've what we've really missed and what the students have really missed out on currently in the current situation is being able to utilise those workshop spaces and the science labs. So we're just looking at the risk assessments and how we can get um, those practical aspects of courses up and running safely um, and make sure that everything is sanitised down in between classes and how we go about doing that. So so those, those things are being considered over the summer to make sure that those practicals can actually go ahead. Yeah, and then I'm sure after a few weeks of doing it, everyone will just um, get used to it and it'll be sort of new normal, won't it? Yes, it will. And and I think, you know, coming coming back to what's the new normal, what I'm really, really reassured about here is that our response time to anything that might now be thrown at us, we know is really quick and we've we've got some plans in place to be able to respond constructively without disrupting the learning of the students to ensure that they've got that continuity here. So, and I think, you know, that's tantamount to the, the technology that we've got and the flexibility of the staff and, you know, the, the, the resilience of the students to actually, you know, pick up their Chromebooks and, and embrace what we're offering them. The principal of UTC Oxfordshire there. Now, Oxford Brooks has been awarded 50 grand from the government for a project aiming to help the UK's recovery from the pandemic. Handheld Health is a free mobile app which provides COVID-19 survivors with a tailored exercise programme so that they can get back to full fitness. It should go live in September. Here's Chief Scientific Officer Stanley Windsor. We started this uh, with cancer patients um, in recognition of the lack of infrastructure around a rehabilitation pathway for them after treatment. And obviously with the COVID um, pandemic sweeping around the nation and people not being able to leave their house, we highlighted a a gap where we could probably fill this with the research. So we've pivoted that research into an intelligent algorithm that we're going to build into a mobile application that will um, prescribe exercise to people based on feedback that they give to um, a 30 question questionnaire. What kind of help do patients who are recovering from coronavirus need then in terms of exercise? Yeah, so obviously, as far as the research can tell us at the minute, um, the closest the closest we can take as a guidance for exercise with coronavirus is um, COPD um, patients. So that's any all sorts of respiratory disease require um, require us obviously to to work the lungs. Um, so they are strength based exercises that you can do in and around your house 
the people that have suffered quite badly with it will be chair-based exercises. Brooks, Oxford Brooks have already put out some chair-based exercises that we, we will build upon within the um, application. So these are just basic movements that use, um, that use your um, respiratory system and get, get your lungs working through strength-based exercise. Why is it beneficial? So ben the benefits of strength-based exercise are firstly that it can be done at home. Um, you don't need any equipment. So throughout lockdown and as we see local lockdowns going on through the country, um, it can be done at home. You don't need any equipment. But also it's, uh, it's a very easy way to um, promote exercise in, in patients that have potentially been bed-bound for um, a couple of months maybe in some cases. So the muscle wastage that goes on after, after being bed-bound for so long means that you have really very little capability of um, enduring long bouts of exercise. So these sorts of exercises are focused around really short bouts of repetitive movements. These repetitive movements allow your body to slowly and gradually build up a, um, a resistance to the exercise. Stanley Windsor there on a locally developed app helping people to recover from COVID-19. Well, that's it from us this week. Thanks for downloading and try not to overdo it on Saturday night. Cheers.